go old school. I usually read out of the New King James Version, but the Bible app, without an internet connection, gives you the old school King James. The thou and the thee and the... (laughs) So that's what we're going to be in tonight. So, before we get started, two things. I really don't get into a lot of the the social movements, but Friday, uh, I'm going to be participating in a march downtown, and uh, because it's something that's really been on my heart, and it's something I really think needs to be addressed that nobody talks about, and um, I think it's something that this country really needs to look at. So Friday at noon, I'm going to be participating in the march, the free Wi-Fi. Anyway, (laughs) picture it. Pastor talked about Paul shipwrecked and all that stuff on Sunday a little bit. 1945, the 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 closing of World War II. There was a ship, a destroyer named the USS Indianapolis. It was on a secret mission to take some plutonium to a secret place to finish up the atomic bomb before they dropped it on Japan. After they finished their secret mission, Sister Sandy, it was hit by a Japanese submarine. About 1,200 sailors were on that ship. 900 of them... Um, 900 of them were able to jump off the boat and get in the life rafts and stuff, but a lot of stuff, a lot of them were hurt. A lot of them were, you know, mangled and stuff like that. They sat in the water for three and a half days. And Sister Sarah, you know in those three and a half days, sharks killed 150 of them. Now, can you imagine on a piece of wood, and somebody's next to you, and next to you know they're snatched down because of shark. I can't imagine that. I mean, because we all know at, at nighttime, that ocean is pitch black. I mean, it, it's, no, it's no light. It's no anything. And for those guys to go through that, and it made me think of Paul, shipwrecked multiple times out there in the deep, and I'm pretty sure some of those same things happens. Yeah. Those guys on the Indianapolis were fighting for country. Right. Paul was fighting for God. Yeah. But Paul was fearless. Because I'm going to tell you, I get shipwrecked once, Sister Sandy. My ministry is on ground for the rest of my life. I'm like, hey, hey, ain't nothing wrong with Cheney. Ain't nothing wrong with Medical Lake. Ain't nothing wrong with up north. Ain't nothing wrong with Chihuahua. <laughs> I ain't going to be like Jack. I just knew it. <laughs> I just knew it. <laughs> so, anyway, we, fin- we can continue on the God Chronicles. And I want to title this, Shall We? Shall We? Let's open up our Bibles to Exodus 32. 
we understand that Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And at this time, God has delivered them out of Egypt. They've seen the mighty hand of God. They've seen him. Pretty much all of the plagues were against the Egyptian gods. Uh, he's seen them deliver them out of Egypt with a strong hand. They crossed the Red Sea. They've seen all these marvelous works of the Lord. So God brings them to Mount Sinai, calls Moses up, and he starts to give Moses the law. While Moses is up there for 40 days, we know the story. The children of Israel become restless. And so Moses is up there face to face with God, getting the word. It says in verse one, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, get up, make us gods that will go before us. As for this, this Moses guy, we don't know what happened to him. He brought us out of Egypt, but we don't know. He's MIA. So Aaron said to them, break off the gold earrings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. A lot of those earrings and a lot of those things were still an Egyptian culture that they were still used to. Even after God delivers us, a lot of times we're still focused on living out in the world. Okay, And so he said, bring me your earrings. They broke them off. They brought them to Aaron. He accepted them. He fashioned an engraving tool and made a molten calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. Now this is Aaron. That God said, literally, you are Moses' mouthpiece. He said, Moses, you're going to be like a god to Aaron. So Aaron's literally the mouthpiece. For Moses, God has already shown Moses on the mount that Aaron is going to be the priest, the high priest. Now, God is saying all this, knowing that Aaron is going to do this. What a mighty God we serve. What a gracious, merciful God we serve. So anyway, instead of being the leader that he should be, Sister Moore, and when people become idle... That's when problems arise. So instead of him saying, okay, Moses has been delayed. How about we just have a camp meeting, Sister Linda? How about we just have a revival? How about we just start celebrating and thinking about all the things that God has brought us from? But the people are like, Moses is gone. We need a new leader. Build us a God. Still have a heart after Egypt. Even though God has delivered them with a mighty hand. They bring it, he fashioned it, he makes a golden calf or a golden bull. And he says, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. So what he's trying to do, he's trying to serve God and he's trying to serve man. Because he's, he's making an altar, but he's saying, oh, all of this is for the Lord, wink, wink. All of this, even though I know somehow, it's kind of one of those things where sometimes we get, oh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this today. Well, I'm not going to go to church today because I'm just going to sit here and witness on the phone to my family. And, oh, oh, but I'm doing it for the Lord. Really? Really? This is their leader. Their future high priest. 
And so they got up early the next day and offered a burnt offering and burnt peace offering. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. So they're getting drunk. And that word rose up to play, meaning sexual sin, sexual immorality. They're just out there doing anything. One of the commentaries said literally like prostitution type atmosphere. Just out there, just doing their thing. And so they do their thing. They're out there partying, getting drunk, all that stuff. You, you know, it's one thing to remember how you used to be. Do you remember the times when you used to get drunk and you realize, oh, thank God, God saved me for that? But, you know, there are some people in church that still kind of brag about that lifestyle. Oh, yeah, boy, back in the day, I used to get out there on that dance floor and cut a, cut a step. Like, who cares about that, really? I don't. I, I, I don't know. Why are you, what are you looking back, gazing at that back lifestyle before that God delivered you from? Now, it's one thing to like, tell us a funny story, like, like one time I was on the dance floor and I tried to do a split and I split my pants or something like that. Ha, ha, okay, that's funny. But when you sit up there bragging about it, bragging about how you used to be, are you really happy about being delivered? We're showing Israel, it's like, God has done all these things, Sister Nichols, and they're like, oh, man, I, I just kind of miss Egypt. I just, I just kind of miss Egypt, Garrett. I, I just, it was just something about that Pharaoh. It was just something about that slavery. Boy, getting up early in the morning and going to bed late at night, it was just something about that. We had a bond. You follow what I'm saying? It was just something about Egypt. And so... The Lord spoke to Moses, said, get, get, get down quickly. Get out of the mountain because they are acting like fools. They have quickly turned aside from the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a molten calf and have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. This is God, saying what Moses, God telling Moses what they're doing. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people. Look what a stiff-necked people they are. So now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them and I will make from you a great nation. Moses starts to intercede. He starts to intercede. And he says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, verse 13, your service to whom you swore by yourself. Because remember he said when he couldn't swear by anything greater, he swore by himself. And told them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken about. I will give to your descendants and they will inherit it. Then the Lord relented over the evil they said we do to his people. Literally, God is like, I'm killing them. And I'm going to start a new nation from your loins. From your loins, Moses. And Moses said, hold up. These are your people. You promised Abraham. You swore to Abraham that these people are going to inherit this land. God, don't do this. Don't do this. And God changed his mind. He relented. Don't you ever underestimate what an anointed man of God can change the direction of your family's life. You better understand that when this man goes before God, God flips his collar up and listens. 
Y'all looking quiet. Okay. All right. Pastor didn't give me five dollars to say that. But you better understand it. And Moses went down with the two tablets. Nathan, he has the word of God. He has the law. And he comes down and he sees what they have done. And he throws the stones down, destroys them. And then he destroys the golden calf. But you want to know what happens when you start to serve things and put them before God? You literally break the word of God in your life. You shatter it. You shatter it. Which means the the word of God has no more authority in your life. You don't stand on it. It's shattered. It's shattered. And people are like, well, Brother Dunn, I don't have a golden calf. But with Pastor Preach, maybe the Internet is your idol. Maybe your car is your idol. Maybe your family is your idol. Maybe church work is your idol. It's so many things that we put before God and we worship them. And God is showing us in his word. When you do that, you pretty much are shattering my authority in your life. And when you no longer have that authority in your life, I don't care how wise you think you are. You're going to be out there doing everything under the sun. But you'll be like Aaron and be like, oh, I'm just doing this for the Lord. That's what, that, that's what he's saying. Moses is angry. Moses is anger. He approached the camp and he destroyed the tabs. And he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you have brought on them great sin? And Aaron said, don't be mad at me. You know these people, they tend to, they tend to evil. They said to me, make us gods that, that will go before us for as for this fellow Moses. He's not longer around. So I said to them, whoever has gold, break it off. So they gave it to me. Listen, and I threw it in a fire and this calf mysteriously came out. I threw it in a fire and this, uh, Moses, this, 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 wow. Isn't that how we try to fool God sometimes? Isn't that how we try to fool God? Oh, God, I, it just happened, God. It just happened, God. This is supposed to be the high priest. This is supposed to be the guy that's supposed to stand there once a year. Stand there in the gap for Israel. And look how he's acting. He's trying to tell Moses, oh, it's, it's, it's these people. These people made these people made me do it. Now, in some Jewish commentaries, remember how when the Amalekites came out against them, and, and Joshua led them in the battle, and Moses sat on the rock, and there was two people that held up uh, Moses' hands, Aaron and Hur. Now, some Jewish commentary system more say that Hur was murdered during this time because when he saw them building that golden calf, he tried to stop them, and they murdered him. Because you don't hear about Hur no other time in the Bible. They say he actually was murdered by the Israel because he was trying to stop them from doing what they was doing. And you got your future high priest seeing all this happen and didn't do anything. Keep thinking that you can serve two gods. Keep thinking you can serve God and man. Because when you have no more word, you have no more authority, you have no more strength. So when you see things that should be spoken against, you shut up. Because you have no authority. You have none. You have none. 
And so, they do all this. Moses is mad. He breaks the animal, grinds it, throws it in the water, and makes them drink it. And Moses saw the people were running wild, and Aaron did all this stuff. And Moses said, the Levites came out and said, who is on the Lord's side? They came out, Levites, 3,000 people were killed. 3,000 people were killed. So, the next day, Moses gets in front of everybody. You have committed a very serious sin. Now I've got to go back up to God. Perhaps I can make an atonement, verse 30, on behalf of your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, I lost these people have committed a very serious sin. and They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin and don't wipe, if not, if he says, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, wipe me out from your book that you have written. It's amazing to me how we love to get behind a pulpit and talk about the New Testament saints. But somehow this Moses guy knows that there is a book up in heaven in which your names are written down in. Huh. There's a book up in heaven. John didn't prophesy that to thousands of years later. But there is a book up in heaven that Moses knows about that he says names are written down in. But we have to understand what Moses is doing. Moses is telling God, if you are going to annihilate them, let that come on my shoulders. He's making himself a sacrificial lamb. Think about that. Sister Moore, he's literally saying, kill me instead of them. Think about that. You don't have that type of compassion for stiff-necked people unless you've seen the face of Jesus Christ. You don't have that type of compassion because he loved us when we were unlovable. He He extended his love to us when we didn't extend it back, when we were yet in sin. He loved us. We were stiff-necked people, and sometimes we still are stiff-necked people, but his love is still there. You don't have that type of compassion for lost people unless you know Jesus Christ. Moses said, if you're going to take somebody out, take me out. Now, Nathan, think about Levi. Think about Gianna. Think about your family. Think about your wife. And you sitting up there saying, I know if God says, okay, I'm going to take you up on this offer, I'm gone. But he cares that much for the lost souls of Israel. Take me instead. <laughs> and we claim we love the lost. <laughs> Woo! The Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, that person I will wipe out of my book. So now go lead the people to the place I've spoken to you about. See, my angel will go before you. But on the day that I punish, I will indeed punish them for their sin. The Lord sent a plague to the people because they had made a calf. The one that Aaron made in the Bible. The calf that Aaron made. So pretty much the calf that Aaron made that caused my people to sin. God remembers that. This is supposed to be the high priest. So then, next chapter. 
The Lord said to Moses, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. He said, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out all those ites. And you will go to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, for you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Listen, this think what God is saying. He's saying, I'm merciful. That's why I'm stepping back. And instead of me being in your midst, I'm going to send my angel. Because if I get into your midst, I'm going to kill him. It's kind of like your mom said, I'm going to knock you upside your head. I'm done. You, I'm, I am, Sister Linda, I am done. I'm ne- the next word that comes out of my mouth isn't going to be a word. It's going to be a shoe. You follow what I'm saying? So he says, I'm done with you. Go up to the land, but I'm not going to be amongst you. When the people heard this troubling word, they mourned. No one put on his ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were among you for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments that I might know what I should do to you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now, most of us are like, oh, boy, there's been a, a change of momentum. And those people, I never saw that they repented. They didn't repent. They were sad because God said, I'm not going to be in the midst of you. But you don't see. Repent. That's why repentance ain't about your emotions, baby. It's about a changing of your mind. And see, a lot of people think they feel good with God because their emotions are touched. And they go out just as wicked as they was when they came in. You follow what I'm saying? And so they, they take off their, God said, take off your, take off your ornaments. Oh, Okay, but you want to know the things what we try to do? We try to be very surface love. I want to call it a surface level relationship with God to where people see what we're doing so that we can get the praise. Like, oh, they're spiritual, but they don't have a repentant bone in their body. Just because you take off your ornaments don't mean you're right with God. Just because you take off your ornaments, Brother De Lorenzo, doesn't mean that you've repented wholeheartedly. Because the only person that's doing the repenting is Moses on their behalf. Man. Man. Then Moses took the tent, his tent, his personal tent. And pitched it outside the camp. The New King James Version says far outside the camp. At a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. Or literally the tent of the the, the tabernacle. Anyone seeking the Lord will go out to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. And when Moses went out to the tent, all the people would get up and stand at the entrance to their tents and watch Moses until he entered the tent. Now. Follow me. This is Israel. They're all camped out. Moses takes his personal tent. Way yonder. You want to know what that shows? That's how far God was from the people of Israel. That's how far they were. Because he says, I'm going to be in the midst of you. He's way outside camp. You see, idolatry, sin, drives God far from you. Far, he's outside the camp. 
He's supposed to be in the camp. And they're mourning because their jewelry is no longer can wear on their ears. Think about their, think about their passion. Think about what's really important to them. Your man of God has pitched the tent, the tabernacle, the meeting place where you see God face to face. And they're like, oh, my earrings aren't. Wow. Think about it. Think about it. And when Moses went out to the tent, it says the pillar of cloud would come down. And it would sit at the entrance and Moses would commune. But get this. Why is the presence of God just sitting at the entrance and not going in? Because that is the spiritual state of Israel. When you are living in idolatry and sin, you don't invite God in your house. He just camps out at the entrance. And even a man that says, God's going to raise up a prophet like me. Even he can't overpower that mindset to where God comes in. He has to go and meet him at the entrance because of the stale state of his people. And we want to know, we want revival. We want Spokane to be turned out. And the only time we're meeting God is at our front door. He doesn't live in our house. We're sitting up there like, hey, God, knock, knock, can I come in? I don't know. But we want revival. Thousands of people attending BOTT. Thousands of people attending Landmark. But how many of them came back with a power and anointing saying, God, I got to know you all over again. But no, they got a couple of DVDs. They got a couple of CDs. And they're like, oh, it was a great conference. Let's go back to who we used to be. That's somebody that has no power, has no anointing, because God is sitting on their front doorstep. Think about it. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, the way a person speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, did not leave the tent. Moses shows us, Brother Delorance. Israel looks at Moses. And Moses. When he gets to talking with God and worshiping God and enjoying all the, all the face-to-face conversations with God, instead of people going out of their tent and going toward the presence of God, they just sit there and they give them the golf clap. Bravo, Moses. Entertain us. Entertain us. When Garrett and all of them get up here and praise, they're not here to entertain you. They're here to give God glory. And it is your job to do the same thing. But they're sitting up there giving a golf clap to Moses. Oh, yes, Moses. Oh, yo, if that was me, you got to get out of your tent and run over to where the presence of God is. But they're sitting in that tent like, bravo, Moses. But we want to land with milk and honey. We want to land with milk and honey. And so, the only person that got it, the only person, other person in the camp that understood what Moses was doing, I'm trying to show you an example. You got to go after God. If God is on the outside of the camp, you got to go after him to bring him back in. It's up to you to bring him back in. He's willing. He said, I stand there knocking at the door, but you got to open it up. He's trying to show them you got to go after him. And the only person in all of Israel that gets it is Joshua. Joshua. 
The only person that gets it, that gets it is Joshua. And as God is talking to him face to face, Moses said to the Lord, see, you have been saying to me, bring these people up. But you said, and he said, but you do, you have not let me know, verse 12, whom you will send with me. But you said, I know you by name. And also you have found favor, grace in my sight. When God knows your name, Sarah, that means you found grace. And it's not just a personal thing because God knew Moses' name. That means Israel had grace. It says the world was wicked, but Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. You better understand that when God shows you grace, it's not just for you. It's those that surround you. Sister Sandy, when you go to Holy Family, that whole hospital finds grace in the sight of the Lord. And he said, now, if I found favor in your sight, show me your way that I may know you. That I may continue to find favor in your sight and see that this nation is your people. Verse 14, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not take. I don't. If you are. Look, look. Whoever's in the midst, Michael, Gabriel, whichever angel. Hey, that's great. But we need you, God. We need you, God. Not a new Mercedes. Not a new house. Not a new 401k. We need you. There's no point of inheriting a land that flows in milk and honey. And I know it's an oath that you promised to Abraham. That is great. But if you aren't in the promised land with us, you can have it. Because I don't want it. I don't want it. You know, so many people, some people are so in love with going to heaven, they can care less if God is there or not. Think about that. Some people are so in love with heaven that they don't care who's there. But he says, I'm your reward. Not heaven. I'm your reward. Let me tell you something. I'd rather be in a cardboard box with Jesus than be up in heaven on streets of gold with no Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? I don't care how good my mansion looks. I don't care how good my penthouse looks. You follow what I'm saying? And so the Lord said to Moses, I will do these things also that you have requested. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So instead of Moses, sister sir, passing out and foaming at the mouth and rolling around on the altar, he says, show me your glory. I got to see it. Notice he says, don't show me your face. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before your face. And I will proclaim the Lord by name. You don't think Moses knew the name Jesus Christ? (laughs) Y'all keep keep fooling yourself. It's it's, it's amazing how we see in all this and on the the mountain of transfiguration, Moses shows up just chilling. Him and Elijah talking to God like I'm talking to you guys right now. I'm pretty sure Moses had his hands in his pocket just like, they can have that promised land. Thank you for taking me, dude. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But he says, I'm going to proclaim the Lord by name before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy to. 
But he added, you cannot see my face, so no one can see me and live. Lord said, here is a place by me. You will stand, station yourself in the cliff of a rock. My glory passes by. I will put you in a cliff of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face must not be seen. Wow. Did Moses know that there was going to be a greater prophet that came down and his name was going to be Jesus? Yeah, because Hebrews, Hebrews says that. I think read Hebrews 23 to 29. It says that. We can go there a little later. But he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me. You know what he's literally saying? I want all of you. I just don't want your face. I want all of you. Sister Linda, you might be the arm in the church, but God is in love with all of us. Because we're one complete body. He's in love with all. Not, he might say, Sister Sandy, your eyes. He's not just in love with your eyes. He's in love with all of you. Good and bad. Good and bad. Good and bad. So I'm going to take away my hand and show you my hind parts. But my face you should not see at this time. And so, let's move on to the next chapter. We're getting there. Just, 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 just hold on. And so, go to the next chapter, chapter 34. Moses goes back up to the mount. Have you noticed that Moses is up there for 40 days without food or drink? Comes down, and he goes back up the next day. As pastors pointed out, it's, it's, it's really 80 continuous days, literally almost. Never says he was hungry. Even Jesus, after he fasted for 40 days, he was hungry afterwards. When you are in the presence, in the face of God, all of your needs are met. And this, he's also showing us that all of your worldly needs are non-existent when you are in the presence of God. None of your worldly needs matter when you are in the face of God. None of them matter. It doesn't say Moses was like, oh, Joshua, here's my staff. Hit that rock, boy. Hit that rock. Hit that rock. You don't see him doing that. You don't see him telling, telling Joshua, call down to Aaron, send up a bucket of water. Send up some bread. Send up some manna. Send up something. Not hungry. Because David said, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Your, 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 your worldly needs don't matter. Moses goes back up to the mount. God says, cut out some stones, come back up, and I'm going to give you the law again. And because of Moses' intercession, God renews the covenant. He renews it. He renews it. He's ready to blot them out. But because of Moses' intercession, God renews it. Let me tell you something. When you go after God, you just don't know what things you're doing in the spiritual realm. Sarah, God can be sitting up there looking at Isaiah and Jaden, just frustrated and mad. But when we go after God and stand in his face, God is like, 
Lucky your mom prayed for you, boy. Just a little bit more grace. Just a little bit more mercy. Our children don't understand that when a mama and a father starts pleading for God, for their families, for these things, God will change his mind. It took one man that had the faith that decided if he's outside the camp, I'm going to show them you got to go after him. You got to go after him. And so he renews the covenant. Moses comes down from the mount. And Moses came down, verse 29, from the mount Sinai up to two tablets of the testimony in his hand. When he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shined when he talked with them. And Aaron and the Israelites ran from him. Now, that Hebrew word shine means Rays of light. Horns, rays of light. We all know that the horn means authority and power. So literally what is saying that his face is shining the authority of God. That Holy Ghost anointing that you have shines from you. That's why when he says you just, you're just not a light that's lighting up the world. You are a light with authority. That when you stand with the face of God and he starts to shine through you, people that aren't used to being around powerful, heavenly authority, they get out of your way. Think about that. Moses is step. He don't even know. Because when you're so in love with God and you're doing his work, you don't even know the change. They notice the change in you, but you don't. Because you're so, for lack of a better term, drunk on God. You got so much authority exuding from you that you're just like, my face is shining? What do you mean my face is shining? I still feel the same. They're like, yo, dude, you need to put a veil on. You're, 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 you're scaring the children. You're scaring the children. And so it says, all the Israelites, he told them what he needed to say. When Moses finished speaking with them, he would put a veil on his face. So when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. Then he would come out and tell the Israelites what had been commanded. And when the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, shone, Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. So the Bible doesn't say this stopped, like his face stopped shining. This was continuous for the rest of his life. Think about that. Now, this guy comes down with that type of authority from spending 80 days with him. He has poured himself into you. Think about that. 80 days, you got people like, oh, my God, you got him in you. You and him are fused together. What type of light do you think you're shining? Think about that. They say the devils believe there's one God and they tremble. Now, when you literally walk down the street, Sister Linda, you're God Almighty walking. We sit up there worrying about houses getting broken into. I'm pretty sure there have been a lot of robbers walking up and down our street, and then like a, 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 a terror comes across. 
When they look at our heart, I ain't touching. No, I'm not. Nah, bro. You don't know what type of visions God. They might slip them like eight cop cars just in your yard, just hanging out. Oh, remember Cujo? Remember the movie Cujo? Eight Cujos just running around. I ain't touching that house. And what I'm trying to say is that authority that you have. Because he's poured himself into you. Moses' face was shining after spending 80 days with him. He's put himself into you. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And so, his face shines. Game changer. Game changer. But, there's a last part to this story or this lesson, Sister Moore. Notice how when Moses pitched his tent and he's going after God, there was one person that would not leave. His name was Joshua, literally Jesus. Joshua is Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus would not leave his tabernacle. Tabernacle representing his body. Jesus doesn't leave his body because you're his body. But that has such an undeniable impression on Joshua. Seeing Moses do this, that as Joshua has reached the end of his life in Joshua 24, And he's talking to Israel about you can't be serving all these false gods and you can't be doing all these idols. And he's basically telling them what they need to do. And he's challenging them. Oh, you guys are probably going to go after those wicked gods. You're going to go after them. And Joshua's laying it out. But in verse 24 and 15, he says, I don't know what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, the only way Joshua says that statement, Brother Delorance, because he learned it from Moses. Because Moses made his house as the only house that's going to call out. Let me tell you something, parents. You, your children, Gianna and Levi and Jasmine, better see you and Sarah and Jana and myself going after God like no other. That's the only way they're going to learn it. That's the only way. Joshua said that statement because he said, my mentor, my father, and my father in the spirit, my leader, I saw him do it. That's what I got to do. As for me and my house, I don't know what you're doing, Asher. I don't know what you're doing, Judah. I don't know what you're doing, Simeon. I don't know what you're doing. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because I saw Moses do it. And they were going to do the same thing. You better go. You better. God's Chronicles. Learn behavior. We read psychology books and they read about learn behavior. Talk about pedophiles. That's a learned behavior. We need to learn our children. You better go after God. They better know how to. How, Levi, 25 years old. How do you go after God? Because I saw my mom. I saw my dad. Saturday morning, I would be upstairs playing with G.I. Joe, and I would hear my dad downstairs in the basement screaming out my name. God, keep your hedge around my boy and through thick and thin and whatever. Keep your hedge around my daughter. I heard it. That's the only thing I know. What? That's the only thing I know. That's the only thing I know is I have to go after God because I saw my daddy do it. That's a legacy, not a 401k, 
Not no daggone oh, a MBA and a PhD. That's a legacy teaching your children how to go after God. But most people will go to these conferences and be like, we had good church. And nothing's changed, Sister Mo. Nothing's changed in their life. Nothing. The same old Monday. You want to know, me and my wife have been talking about this, and we've just been so caught up in just worldly stuff. When I, when I say worldly stuff, I'm talking about what Pastor was talking about. Man, he was hitting it, that nail on the head. You get on your, your iPad, you get on media, and you, and, you, and, and you might start out looking at preaching. But then you're looking at framing houses. You're looking at, you know, I know how to plant flowers, and I hate flowers. But I've watched so many videos. On my wife, I'm, I'm telling on myself, and I'm like, oh, you do, huh? Wait till next spring. I know how to do all that stuff, Brother Nathan. Why? Because you get so caught up. And you can sit on YouTube for three hours and just do nothing. But you sit up there after ten minutes of prayer. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of done. Because he's outside the camp instead of being. When the tabernacle was erected, it was in the midst of the camp. And everybody circled around it. All the camps. Think about that. He's supposed to be in the midst. What does that mean? He's supposed to be in you. In you. And Joshua said, that's the only thing I know what to do. Just go after God. And so me and my house, this is what we're doing. As for the Joshua house, that's what we're doing. The rest of y'all, good luck. I'm going to go where Moses went. I leave you with this. And I don't want to go out too far in left field because I don't know God hasn't shown me and it's not in Scripture. But I question, did Aaron make it? Think about it. I'm not trying to teach no theology. Golden calf. Murmuring against Moses. Got to the point that God said, take him up and strip. Strip. Tear off those holy garments. I'm done with him. Don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying he didn't. But I'm going to say, Sister Sandy, if he did make it. He made it by the skin of his teeth. The skin of his teeth. I'm pretty sure when they were leading Moses up, I mean Moses, when they were taking Aaron up to strip him, I'm pretty sure Moses was like, God, forgive him. That's my brother. I know he messed up. I'm thinking if he made it in because of a prayers of a brother. A prayers of somebody that was longing after God. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it takes a person that is so dedicated to God to save someone from damnation. Let me tell you something. When we get up there, everything's going to change. And we aren't going to be in our minds. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be teasing, sir, about... Up uh, hot dogs and pudding. I'm not gonna be. Te- I'm not gonna be teasing her about that stuff, Sister Mo. I'm not gonna be. Like, hey, Sister Mo, let's go hang out. We're gonna love everybody. But I'm guaranteed, if we're able to just glimpse, we're gonna be like, how did that person make it? 
And Jesus is going to look at us because they had a praying grandmother that sought their whole life praying for future generations. Cornelius' prayers came up as a memorial, and it wasn't just Cornelius that was saved. His whole house. His whole house. Think about that. Think about that. Think about that. Uh, Yesterday was three years since my mom passed. Couldn't believe it. Three years. Seemed like it was just yesterday. And so, I'm, you know, I'm starting to reminisce and think about it. And, you know, last night I just was by myself. I was out on the couch. Jana went to bed. Jasmine went to bed. I put the dogs up because I just wanted to be by myself. And, Pastor, you know what I just said? My mom made a lot of mistakes. But thank God she raised me in the house of God. Thank God. When even when she wasn't going, Nathan, I was on that front pew. Thank God. That's a legacy. That's a legacy. That's a legacy. Thank God. When I wanted to do certain things, she was like, nope, you're going to church. Camp meeting. Your boys out there playing football and doing all these things in the summertime. Hey, where are you going? Hey, go to church. Hey, go to camp meeting. And I got my good clothes on so I can't get dirty. Anybody ever get a beating for getting grass stains in their church clothes? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. But Sister Moore, because she was like, I'm raising. Because when I told you guys my story, when I was born, the umbilical cord was tied around my throat. When I was born, I was paralyzed on my left side. I was supposed to be retarded. I had knee braces on for the first two years of my life. When I, when I was born, they called in a, a surgeon from the University of Maryland because they were like, this dude ain't going to make it. And my pastor at the time comes there and he says, the devil is trying to snuff that man out before he's even born because God has a calling on his life. And my mother, Sister Sandy, goes in the bathroom, IV pole, everything, putting her face in the towel and say, God, save my baby. And if you save them, I'll raise them up. I'll raise them up. You know, I shared with you about how I had some notes about my mom and I was, I was angry and all that stuff. But the one thing I've learned is that forgiveness is a cure. It's an oil that soothes the soul. And one thing I can say wholeheartedly before this church, before the world, I had a mom that raised me in the house of God. And I'm a living witness that you can be raised with an alcoholic father, with a pedophile stepfather, and still be a man that stands on the word of God and preaches the word with conviction, with power, and anointing. Don't you tell me what God can't do when you get into his face and you go after him. I don't just want your face. I want your glory. I want everything about you. I'm not just satisfied with your face. I want the whole thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, as I close, I can't imagine being on a, in a shipwreck and being in the Pacific Ocean 
for three and a half days in pitch black ocean. And Buddy's just getting snatched underneath. Sister Moore, they said, and even the ones that didn't die by sharks, they were going crazy because you're drinking salt water. All that stuff. And they said, some men died, Sister Linda, because they would be going under and they would get a death grip on somebody and pull them down too. But Sister Nichols, you know what it made me think of? When he was on that cross. And they stuck it through here. And he got that death grip on you. He's got a death grip on his church. That no man, he said no man could pluck him out of my hand. He's got, hey! He's got a death grip over you. You better understand it. And all he's asking for us is to meet him in the tabernacle. And don't just have him sitting on the door. Invite him in. Invite him in as we stand. You better know who your God is. God Chronicles. Been good? (laughs) I I, I, I text pastor, and I was like, I'm I'm excited about what God is doing. There's been a, a spiritual change in all of us. You know, that message pricked me so hard on Sunday, in a good way. And me and my wife have been talking about this for long. We just never acted upon it because we just lazy and just get caught up with other things. But you know what we did, Brother DeLorenz, on Sunday? Me, Jasmine, and my wife got down there at 730, and we just saw God's face. Whole basement, dog sitting. <laughs> Rocket is the new dog. Bandits heard us talking tongues. Rocket was like, oh, Jesus, what kind of family am I? His ears pointing up. He was like, what, what's going on? Bandits like, oh, they're speaking in tongues. I'm going to sleep. But Rocket was like, what, what, what's going on? But the three of us, we saw God's face because there's got to be a change. And I told my wife and Jasmine, I said, every Sunday we're going to talk about what pastor preached and we're going to live it. And every Sunday at 730, it's going to be a prayer revival in the Dunn household because there's got to be a change. I got to show my daughter how to go after God. I got to show her. That's what a conference is supposed to do for you. That's when you go home and you just tear up your schedule and be like, I'm done. I got to go out to God. We got to go out there. Connect point. We're in a great place with God. God is challenging us to grow. Brother Dale Rent, it's amazing. Me and Pastor don't talk about what you preaching, and I'm pretty sure we don't call Nathan, but hey, speak this. But it's amazing how Nathan gets up and starts the service out, and it intrinsically links to what pastor's talking about. Intrinsically. Why? Because we're one mind, one body, one spirit. And that means we're on one accord, which means God is starting to open up more and more revelation. He gives those revelation who are ready for it. Why? Do we have the numbers yet? No, in faith. But God is working up because what's going to happen is, I'm going along, I'm shutting up. That shine that you have is just going to attract people. Because they're going to be like, whoa, Levi, whoa. I want that what you got. Gianna, I want what you got. Sister Linda at the gas station, I want what you got. Hey, what church do you go to? I go to, I go to Connect Point. You want to come? I, 
Whatever it is y'all doing, I want that. I want that. You can only come to the Father unless you be what? Drawn. Drawn. So we have to understand that God is going to let that light shine and draw people and draw and draw and draw. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word, your chronicles. God, we, want it. we don't want, the, we don't want the, the, the tent outside the camp. We want it in. God, forgive us if we've been letting you hang out on our doorstep. We are opening up our doors to our home, to our hearts, to invite you in. We want you in everything. We are you. You are us. We are connected. We are your body. We are your heritage. You, we are your bride. We are your inheritance. And God, we want to live like it. Give us the wisdom. Give us the strength. Give us the authority to live in the realm of your power and your anointing. Help us, God. Be strong in the faith. And hold on to your unchanging hand. Let us find comfort in the scriptures. And know that you are our Lord. We let us clap our hands unto the Lord. Be, be excited for Sunday now. Be patient in your house. Oh, I can't. Well, hey, Pastor, can we start a little early? Be excited about Sunday now. Be excited. And it isn't just a service. It is an event. It is a time where God comes down and meets his people. And anybody that could, let me tell you something. Those people that came, D and what's your friend that came? James, James, guess what? They have been eternally impacted by the word of God.